you pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there anything here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You've heard that said about Jesus. I have. It's kind of a Sunday school saying. But today, we're going to see, as the days are getting short, Jesus goes on the offensive. And he'll do that with the religious religious leaders, leaders. the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what is he going to say to them? Find out today on on More More Than Than Ink. Hey, you've joined us. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And this is More Than Ink. And uh, what we do is we read the Bible together. But we do more than just read the Bible, don't we? I mean, Well, we talk about it. We ask questions. We ask questions of it. And I, I was going to say that's one of the most important skills you can have as a Bible student is how to ask questions of the text mm-hmm. and uh, how to scratch your head about what you're reading. You don't just read it and go, well, that's what well, it says. Yeah. You, know, you just say, well, no, wait a second. No, how do we engage with yeah, it? Yeah, you engage with it. So that's what we do. And we find that uh, we engage with the text better when we do it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So we do it with one another and hopefully you can do this with other people. I remember doing this, gosh, when I was in high school. I was over at Andy's house and Jeff was there and we were talking about the Beatitudes, you know, from the beginning of, uh, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and then Andy had to go off to work and then we stayed at Andy's house and Jeff and I talked about the Beatitudes for the rest of the afternoon. Well, I, you talked about those guys. I remember you and I doing this in high school. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so we're engaging with the text. So we're glad you're with us so you can engage in the text with us. Where we are right now, we're in chapter 23 of Matthew. Uh, we are literally you know, a day or so away from the crucifixion and uh, during this very, very busy Passover week in Jerusalem. And Jesus Jesus is having a lot of uh, public um, discourses, not only teaching the crowds, but also engaging with his spiritual enemies, which are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the guys who are really threatened by Jesus's rising uh, popularity. And so they've been trying to take him out. Last time we were here, they tried to take him out with another good trick question. And instead, he asked them a question, shut him down. So today, he's going to go on the offensive with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders who have been tasked with caring for God's people, Israel, and they're doing a very poor job at it. So Jesus decides to, well, to take them to task publicly. Well, yeah, because he's given them every opportunity and brought, he's listened to their questions and he has engaged them and tried to pull it into a deeper conversation. Yeah, more substantive Always topics. about God and yeah. the heart of man rather yeah. than their trivial questions. So here he's turning it, turning the tables around. He says, now I got something to say to you. Right. <laughs> but he so, says it to the crowds yeah, and to his disciples. To the crowds and the disciples. This is not an interchange with the Pharisees, but you know what? They're, they're li- there. They're listening. <laughs> they're there. So that's what Jesus is going to do today. Very famous section in Matthew called the, the woes, the seven woes. And so let's see what Let's see what Jesus thinks about the religious leaders during this week. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. 
They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Mm. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one Father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoa, that's a mouthful. Well, that's his introduction to the <laughs> That's his introduction. <laughs> However, that last statement you just said kind of summarizes what he's saying. You know, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And clearly that's the problem. That's the heart of the problem with these religious leaders is they are using their position to exalt themselves. And now Jesus is going to start the humbling process right here. Well, okay, but he says they have placed themselves or sit on the Mos- on Moses' seat, which, right, you know, right. they have put themselves in the place of experts in terms of understanding the scripture. Right, so he right. says, you know, whatever they tell you about the scripture, listen to that, but not what they do. Yeah, so, you know, to, to the degree to which they're actually reading right. the, the Bible to you. Because that's actually what scribes did. That's right. So so listen to what they say there. They're, that's what it says when they're on Moses' seat. They're actually speaking for Moses what Moses writes. So, you know, take that serious. That's a big deal. Take that. When he reads the Ten Commandments, take that serious, right? But he says, but, but don't look at the works they do and copy that because that's deeply flawed. And how is it deeply flawed? Well, they don't practice what they preach. They don't practice what they preach, yeah. And yeah. then they, because the Pharisees in particular had this um, this tradition of kind of overwriting and overburdening the biblical text, right? They would take mm-hmm, the text mm-hmm. and they would add all this stuff to it in right. order to make it uh, finely tuned, detailed obedience, right? Right, so and they, it, that, was the, that was the product of a lot of their debates among right, one another about right. what it means, and it would just get big and fat. So that's yeah. what Jesus is talking about. They tie up these heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders, but they're not willing to move so much a finger to help you do it. <laughs> Which is a way of saying, this is what you should do, but I'm not doing right. it, and I'm not going to help you do it. But yeah, this is what you got to do. Like, for instance, if there was a very restrictive Sabbath law that they kind of logically deduced from the from the sabbath laws and it was very restrictive on their lifestyles or had something to do that that kept them from doing something good like you know saving an animal that's trapped in a well or someone who's hurt or something like that you know they would say well you know you can't do that um but that doesn't apply to us it don't applies to you it's a burden to you but it's not a burden to us so what he's saying is they place these burdens on these heavy burdens that is things that are impossible to do uh, to really do, and they put that on you, but they don't seem like they're willing to help you at all figure out how to do it, which you know occurs to me as the opposite of what Jesus said about his burden. Jesus says his burden, burden is, light. is light. Their burden is heavy. And, and in this heaviness, it tends to give you this impression that you're just a total failure. Mm-hmm. But the Pharisees, they're on top of things because they're telling you what you're supposed to do. So Jesus says they do all their deeds to be seen by others, right? Their mm-hmm. total motivation is is an external one, an appearance one. The, the comment about their phylacteries broad and their fringes long is how they dress, right? The right, phylacteries right. were those little boxes that you wore on the hand or on the forehead right, that right. actually contained scripture and was there as a reminder to them 
to obey, right? To love the Lord their God with all their heart, right, right, soul, and right. mind. <laughs> right. And their fringes long, those tassels were, uh, from Deuteronomy, they were to be reminders of prayer and who they were. Yeah. So these these have connections. Right. You know, to Deuteronomy and Numbers, these have connections. But they're, they're doing them in order to be seen. Mm-hmm. And that's what he says in five, in order to be seen by others. And they, recognized. They, they have really no personal input about what it's all about. In fact, when you, when you read the passage like in Deuteronomy, uh, he says, you know, bind them as a sign on your hand and be as frontlets between your eyes. He's talking very figuratively about the fact that God's word needs to be, inhabit the work of your hands and your thoughts. I mean, it's, it's really clear. But, you know, they're, they're putting them in these physical things and tying them on the outside, hoping that people see how serious they are about right. this. But and the are, bigger they are, the more serious they are. Right. But are they actually going for the intent of that comment? Are they actually going towards taking God's word and incorporating it into the work of your hands and in the thoughts of your mind? No. They're not. They're just doing what they're doing to well, be Well, they would say they were. Right, right, yeah. But they loved the recognition of being seen as experts and seen as the ones who were the authority in the teaching. Yeah. But Jesus says, you know, don't be called rabbi by others. Uh, don't be recognized as a teacher or an expert. You have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And you're all brothers, right, right. So... He's just really taking down their authority, their love of the recognition their, of being in spiritual Their love authority. of the recognition, the admiration that they get, right. the, the kind of lifted up, uh, I don't know, respect they get from it. That's, that's the whole thing mm-hmm. that they get. In fact, Jesus warned us about this much earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing right. your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then they will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's from Matthew right. 6. Well, if, you, if that's what you're after, then that's what you get. That's, that's all, all you get. It's the admiration get. of people. Yeah, and the other benefits don't come. And don't call any man your father on earth. These were terms that they used with the rabbis. Right. You know, you have one Father who's in heaven. Uh, and and don't be called instructors. Or, you know, you're the smart teacher, oh, Rabbi, Mr. Pharisee. For you really have one instructor the Christ, the Messiah. So that's fascinating. So what he, he's really described a really interesting thing here in the structure of Israel and even in the present day church. You have, you have the one, Jesus, who's both our rabbi, our teacher, our father, our instructor, mm-hmm. and then you got all the rest of us. Right. Everyone else is on, a, on an even playing field from that sense. There really is no distinction in there and this is one of those passages along with a couple others that i look at and say you know i think i think this is probably the right ordering of how a collection of believers and followers of jesus should be none of them are putting themselves above others well jesus goes on to say here and what he has said before uh you whoever humbles himself will be exalted whoever exalts himself will be humbled yeah yeah so we have jesus the messiah and then there's the rest of us (laughs) Mm. And he's 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 all, but it by implication what he's saying is that uh, these these Pharisees go around eager to be called rabbi, and the respect and admiration that comes with that, eager to be called fathers with the respect that comes with that, eager to be called instructors and teachers because of the respect that comes with that. That's what they're aiming for is that admiration, that respect, and that's all they're trying to get. And the only way you can get that is if you get above other people, if you exalt yourself. And Jesus says, nope, it's not supposed to be the way it's supposed to be. That's not how it goes. So now he's going to get a whole lot more 
disappointed. Whoa, does he ever. Because he's just said, you know, don't be like them. They don't practice what they preach. And now he's going to say, woe to them, right? Well, we don't use the word woe very much. Only with horses. But a a woe is a deep sorrow mixed with regret because you've been wrong. Right. 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 So uh, this is the first of six or seven, actually seven woes, but we're only going to talk about three of them. Let's start reading. And I might mention, since you brought that up, there's a really famous section in Isaiah 5. Yes. Which is known the woes in Isaiah. It's very closely parallel. And uh, if you go take a look at that, I'd encourage you to go look at it. Just go to chapter 5 of Isaiah and start reading and see how much it looks like this section in here. Well, and actually, we talked about Isaiah 5 just uh, last week, I think, about that parable that begins with the vineyard and the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, right? And then it goes on to talk about the shepherds of the house of Israel. So here we have uh, another parallel thing happening. Let's do some woes. Okay, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrites, whoa. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Stop there. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty powerful indictment if he's looking in their face and saying you are hypocrites you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces you shut the door you slam the door shut and on top of that you're not even entering yourself and you won't allow those who would enter to get in wow he says you're 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 in the way of everything well because they're totally misrepresenting the kingdom yeah by making it so hard to get in right and redirecting everyone's attention how do you get into the kingdom yeah, the exactly. The real way exactly. in is repent and believe, not keep the law and keep it harder and better. Yeah, and yet these guys' jobs, their job is to point people to the kingdom of heaven, right? And to and to be priests in a sense, go betweens in order to get people there. And he's saying, you guys are the problem. You're not the solution. You're the problem. Woe to you. Woe, and you're not entering yourself. By the way, he says. Oh my gosh. So and he's going to amplify that. The second one is related. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> wow. Well, he's talking about their zeal. You know they have a they're they're zealous, uh, so zealous to make proselytes to get people into the religion, to get people into the kingdom of heaven, which is their job. I mean they'll travel across sea and land just to make a single proselyte. But what you do is you actually do the opposite. You don't make them a proselyte. You make them twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Well, because they make it so cumbersome and so hard right. to be right. a child of the kingdom that they make it a living hell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a place of constant torment because you're always on pins and needles about whether I'm obeying the law properly. Yeah, it's yeah, that that's exactly right. There's it's a horrible, condemning, burdensome kind of system. And we what we call it in the modern day is a is a works righteousness. You know, you have to do enough works to get there. And uh, and I, I you know I dare say uh, maybe the majority or all of the false religions in the world. Uh, are all based on this. They're based mm-hmm. on the fact that if you work hard and do all the right things, what are the right, right. things? We'll find an expert. That's what these guys want to put themselves in. If you do all the right things, and maybe you might get there, you just got to do enough of them. And, and, and the expert will delight 
in telling you how difficult it is and how exactly. much work you have to do. And they themselves are probably not doing it, but they'll lay that on you. But what's interesting is in the first this first woe, he says, you're stopping people from getting in. Right. The second woe, he says, you're not only stopping them, you're making them even worse. Mm-hmm. You're making them even worse, a child of hell, twice as well, much. And you're totally misrepresenting to them what the kingdom is, right? Yeah. The true kingdom is love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, as Paul said later. Yeah. And Jesus said, it's freedom from condemnation. I don't condemn you. Right, right. So, and you know the whole the whole treatise in Romans, uh, and a condensed version in Galatians, is all about the fact that even all the way back to Abraham, it wasn't what you could accomplish, the worst you could do. It right. was all about faith. Always has been faith, right? Which results in your trust in God, and that's the key to the kingdom of heaven is trust in God. Well, and that kind of leads us into the next oath, right? Right. Because in verse sixteen, he says, "Woe to you, blind guides." who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by oath, right? They're going to begin talking now about oaths. Oaths, right. But it's not about your oath-keeping, your promises you make to God. It's about your faith in what God has done for you. Yeah. Well, and he's talking about how logic, how illogical even this swearing by the gold right. in the temple is. Because then he says 17, you blind fools. Right. Blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold right. sacred. I mean, you've got it totally upside down. You're focused on the thing instead of what it represents. Yeah, you've got it. So he calls them blind guides uh, in 16 and blind fools in 17. And because he's, they are mm-hmm. actually, they're selling this idea to people right. and people are buying this. This the blind leading the blind is right. what it is. You've got it totally wrong. And you know what Jesus said in another place? So the blind who leads the blind, they both fall into a pit. Yeah, Don't that's pay right. attention to either that's one. Right. And that's <laughs> yeah, that's what's that's what's going on. And he goes on with his oath taking in eighteen. And if and and you say, Well, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. That altar that they burn the sacrifices, right? right? It's nothing. This is what the Pharisees say. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, well, he's bound by his oath. You blind men again. <laughs> you blindies. Which is greater? The gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So they don't even understand no. the, the relationship between these things. Um, and, and they're putting their hopes in these oaths anyway, which is really kind of silly. But even on top of that, they, they've got them founded on the wrong parts of the imagery even. That's well, how blind they are. It's, and he's called them blind guides, blind fools, blind men. Blind, blind, blind. You just can't even see the reality behind these things that you're talking about. Yeah. Verse 20. So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. Right? Because it's the sacrifice on the altar that is the holy thing. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Ah, that's what makes the temple a big deal. The temple is such a big deal. It's the God who dwells there. Right. In verse 22, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Right. Right. So it's like they had completely backed the presence of God out of the equation. Right. It's just and focused the, completely on the external expression. All the external, uh, you know, things that express it. And, the, you know, the temple, the temple isn't really sacred. To any more to the degree than that's the place where God where, resides. Well, it's, it's the presence of God that makes it's it a holy place. It's the presence of God, right? Yeah, and and uh, and He brings up the altar too. The altar 
you know, it's the sacrifices that are, that are really the, the big deal here because the sacrifices, we're talking about sin. So when you start looking at all these things, they actually end up, they end up connecting to your relationship with God. We talked a little while ago about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. A lot of what he's talking about, even here in the temple and the sacrifices, even when you swear by the heavens, we're talking about the place that God has made. Right. We're talking about relationship with God. And you swear by the things that are around you but are you really looking more more critically at your relationship with God or at the things you swear by? So that's the bait and switch that we often see in yeah. false religions, yeah. and particularly where we live, is this emphasis on all the external the things. Trappings, the, the trappings. The trappings. Right, and right. that that's what you have to focus on instead of the presence of the one right, that those right. things are intended to speak to you about. Right, right. And, and you know, and it makes me think... Um, even Paul himself, when he was doing his presentation in Athens at the Areopagus, you know, he he says that God made us so that we'll kind of he uses this word grope, look mm-hmm. around in the dark to find him. Right. Even though he's not far from he's any not of far. us, he's yeah. near. And so you look at that and say, well, so then actually, my relationship with God and religion at its core, in terms of God, is about a relationship with Him and an intimate and near thing, and has nothing to do with those trappings has nothing to do with all those big buildings and all that stuff going on. It's something much more relational, much more intimate than we than we surmise when we look at things like the temple and stuff like that. Well, and it has nothing to do with my oaths or yeah, exactly. my sacrifice or right. where I am, right? right? Remember Jesus in that conversation with the woman at the well? He says, the time's coming when you're not going to worship on this mountain yeah. or any mountain. doesn't he matter. The, the God is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit, and truth. Right, right. Those things are not attached to a place, a building, a specific altar. Right, right. And yet here, his this woe he's bringing against the Pharisees is the fact that instead of focusing people on their intimate relationship with the God who is near, what they're doing is they're pointing around, you know, on the temple area and saying, look at that building over there, look at the altar over there, look at the gold that's on those things, you know. You need to connect your religious life to all these things. Right. These are the hurdles you gotta get right. over. And you gotta make your covenants to God based on these things, and oh, I swear by the gold on the temple. And you know, it's like they're completely misdirecting people away from the core of what God intends in order to have people's hearts changed by coming in a near relationship with him. They're completely putting all this stuff in between and that happens today as well you know you talk about you talk about temples and different kind of religious systems and you got to go ring the bells and you got to go do all this kind of stuff and it's 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 not that complicated but the but the people who are in charge of these religions push these things because they got those things they've got them and so they say you need to use our things that's how you get there and yet what he's what what god has been saying from the very beginning just as simply as Abraham standing out under the stars in Genesis 15. He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's as simple as it gets. The gospel is extraordinarily simple. And yet these guys are shoving all this stuff in between. And the way in to the kingdom is simply repent and believe. Repent Turn and believe. from self and to God and yeah. believe in the one whom he sent, as Jesus said. I mean, that's how Jesus opened his ministry right after John the Baptist was imprisoned and Jesus started his ministry. And he says that the same thing John the Baptist first, said. First Repent words. and believe. Yep, yep. So, you know, it's that that the, the religious authorities were uh, misdirecting the people misdirecting. about how do yep. you get into the kingdom. Yep, yep, yep. And it really is too bad because because in Abraham, these Pharisees and the Sadducees, in Abraham, they have such a good example mm-hmm. of of what 
the core religious position that God has put man in, which is it's just between you and me. It's the, it's the belief, it's repentance in what your sins are all about. It's coming to me in trust. It's very simple. I mean, you look at you look at Abraham, and these guys could have been going around talking about Abraham. And yet they're talking about the temple buildings and they're talking about the gold on them and all this other stuff that's just, it's just so worthless in so many ways. Okay, but it's probably worth remembering that the temple was built according to God's instruction. God is the one that gave it. God is the one that instituted the sacrificial system. Uh That was all God's idea, but all as a pointer to the reality that now the fulfillment of all that reality was standing on the very pavement in that temple telling them the truth yeah and i'm not saying this stuff was was wrong to be there but i mean imagine they could say to people you know have you noticed have you noticed that as you as you come closer to the presence of god who's in the holy of holies as you come closer you have to deal with your sin you have to deal with a sacrifice for your sin because you come past this altar right here i mean they could they could they could like we did when we were in exodus you could make all these conclusions about the heart of the of the real relationship with god as they're pictured there if you will or you can just stop your thinking process at the external execution of the thing right and that's that's the sadness here because jesus says that's what you're doing you're pointing Mm -hmm. at the stuff in between and you're not pointing at the gigantic significance of what you're saying and it destines you for woe there is coming great regret great condemnation great sorrow for you yeah and the pharisees are going to look back and they're going to say you know we shut the kingdom of heaven in people's mm. faces we shut the kingdom of him i mean we we focused on the wrong thing we didn't focus on the god who is near and the problem with our sins and the need for a living sacrifice on our behalf and I mean, the one he sent to be the it, sacrifice. exactly we missed up and we did not we did not open the door to the kingdom because we focused on these wrong things wow it's, I mean, that's why it's a woe. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, wow. Well, it's going to get thicker in the next next little passage. Yeah, we're almost out of time, but we're going to come to the second part of the woes. And uh, next time, you already mentioned this about the fact the Pharisees were just extraordinarily good at, at doing the detailed mm-hmm. part of the law. But what he's going to get at is in your in your focus on the detail of the law, you're going to miss the most important things right. in the law. And uh, what we call it today is you miss the forest for the trees. Right. And so Jesus is going to take them to task about that and about how they took that detailed burden and put it on people. So anyway, I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And you're listening to More Than Ink, and we're listening to Jesus as he teaches about the kingdom of heaven, and he teaches about the blind guides, unfortunately. We'll see more next time on More, more Than, than Ink. There are many more episodes of this broadcast to be found at our website, morethaninc.org. And while you are there, take a moment to drop us a note. Remember, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Pick it up and read it for yourself, and you will discover that the words printed there are indeed more than ink. I wouldn't repeat that phrase. I wouldn't either. This has been a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City.